0: Hello guys and welcome back to The Solo Podcast. I hope you're all well. I hope you're having a fantastic day so far whenever you are listening to this and I really appreciate you tuning in as always and thank you very much for the support on the previous episode. So the one where me and Danny did a Q&A. There were a few comments. Theo, I know you're watching. You wanted to see my pretty face. So here it is. It's back. It's right in front of you. It's probably on your big tv screen mate (laughs) but yeah so we didn't have the sort of environment last week to film the old faces just wouldn't have looked that aesthetic so we decided to give that a miss and i'm back this week with a solo podcast me and danny were actually just discussing that we'll probably run like a bi-weekly podcast where danny comes on and we answer some questions together and we do a bit of an update on both Danny and myself, and I think that got a pretty good response in terms of people like listening, like listening to us both together at the same time. There's obviously a bit of comical value in that as well, which is fantastic. So yeah, I think that would be worthwhile doing, and we'll aim to do that uh, in in the coming well, the coming weeks and months. So to get into, as always, a little bit of an update on myself, where I'm at, what I'm doing, how am I, as everyone potentially wants to know. If you don't happen to care. Then scroll down on YouTube or down on on what uh, the SoundCloud, iTunes down to the timestamps. Select the first question and just skip my update if you don't care what I'm doing. All right, so a bit of an update on me. So I am basically my second week of mini cutting. So my start weight was 190, and I'm down to about 184. I did hit 183, but then over the last few days, like over the last few days, I actually went up a pound, and then I've just stayed there. And the only thing that I can sort of correlate that with is a slight change in hydration status because it was very cold, like last week's, the first week of the mini-cut, very cold. And that's gotten warm again. I've just naturally drunk a bit more. So I tend to, when I'm, especially when I'm mini-cutting, I tend to just drink to thirst. So I don't really like drink a specific amount per day if i was dieting down for a contest i'd almost definitely be drinking a very static amount the same amount every single day but as i'm not i just don't i don't really foresee the reason why i have to drink the same amount so i tend to sort of water regulate based on my thirst and this the last few days have been very thirsty i've got some water here that i've just finished so i've just naturally drunk a little bit more obviously that's had a reflection in body weight to a degree and also, bowel movements have changed slightly since, again, obviously, your your bowel or your digestive tract will be very heavily influenced by your environment. So, in certain environments, like my, my I get used to the environment, my bowel movements are consistent, and then I come back to this environment. So, for example, in Sheffield, I was sitting down for the majority of the day, whereas when I'm here I'm at my standing desk, it's just differences, like small differences... That has a moderate effect on my bowel movements, my digestion, and that obviously has a fairly substantial effect on your body weight on the scale. If you've been slash not been, funnily enough, guys, it makes a difference, so you've got to be sort of aware of that to a degree. But nevertheless, it's been going well. I've been, to be honest, very honest with you guys, like not lying or bullshitting, I've been hungry. (laughs) I've been pretty hungry. I've been hangry at some points as well, which is very unusual for me. Very unusual. The last time I felt hungry was a long time ago, probably in my last mini cup which was last last year in August. So, I, it's very very weird feeling and actually quite difficult to deal with to a degree because I've not I've it's been a while since I've developed the coping strategies that I had during contest prep. So, during contest prep, not going to lie, like towards the end, it was a breeze because I was so used to it, I just knew nothing else apart from being hungry and it's why I've stated so many times on podcasts about the fact that you need to have this acceptance, this level of acceptance of the fact that you are going to be hungry, the fact that you are in a deficit and just fucking put up with it guys, like put up with it, just crack on but right now I'm like okay I'm mini cutting, what's the goal okay I'm just going to get a bit leaner, just a bit leaner to then go back into a surplus So my motivation levels to stick through pretty aggressive hunger in the evenings, um, sometimes even during the midday, is like nil. (laughs) Like, to be honest, I've not got the the most motivation to to get this phase done. But I'm going to get it done regardless because I stick to the phases that I set out, you know, like I did since the last mini cut, pretty much a full year in the surplus, and I stuck that out. Even when there was weeks when I really didn't want to eat, my appetite was low, and I was feeling my myself start to become that little bit more sluggish, if I saw my logbook numbers going up, and I saw a benefit of me adding more scale weight, I was going for it, you know, but for now, like like I said, you know, that 190 cap, the 190, 193 cap, was sort of just where I, like, found my limit, you know, I found that there wasn't becoming much more productivity in me pushing further, and you've seen it in my lifts, guys, like, you know, I'm like six pounds down, and I've actually beaten numbers on some things, I've, I had a really good, great leg session yesterday with my client, Alex. We, I, I beat numbers in my book. Alex fucked his hamstring, so it wasn't a great session for him, but I beat my logbook numbers on my Cybex hack uh, since the last rotation there. I beat the number on the, the Atlantis pivot leg press. On Monday, I RDL'd 205 kgs for five reps. Obviously, that means that Monday, more is coming, potentially. The setup for Monday might not be the best, so I'm sort of thinking about maybe auto-regulating that session a bit because I'm flying (laughs) um I'm flying to Scotland this weekend for the UKDFBA show so I'll be flying on Saturday and I'll be getting I'll be at the show on Sunday and I'll be getting back on Monday I'll be flying back on Monday so I'm sort of contemplating what I'm going to do for that loading in that session usually my, 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 my normal self I'd just be like okay cool just like crack on with it you've just been on a flight just get on with it you know it's like just sitting down for an extra hour and a half but it's the flights whether i'm going to be on top of my food and i try and nail as, as everything as best as possible but sometimes there's variables that do go astray and the, the best thing we can do is just create an environment where we we try to manage our variables as best as possible so that's basically a bit of an update on myself session's very good fat loss efficient gonna get this phase done hopefully in a maximum of six weeks but realistically i think the current rate if the current rate keeps giving me what i what i want then potentially i'll be able to get it done in four and that could be quite efficient to then get back into a surplus and and essentially just get gaining again and the next cleanup will probably be a little bit of a cleanup if i need it prior to my full 2020 diet down to the stage so very exciting in terms of the 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 sense that i've not got that long until i'll be getting like fully dug out and i can't wait for that to happen to be honest like if 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 said someone said to me oh okay it's 2020 now let's go i'd be like yep cool i'm, I'm ready i'm in a very i'm in a very good position to be able to attack a prep everything seems to be in a good spot right now business is good i'm managing my client base well i'm not taking on board too much i've got a nice manageable amount of clients i obviously got a fantastic stable relationship got everything in motion um you know we're going to be moving soon and when that's going to be sorted we're going to be in a fantastic spot to you know attack contest preps each individually in, in 2020 so there's lots of cool things going on at the moment that's really exciting like i said you could afba scotland this weekend so if you're there please do come and say hi danny on the other side is at the glutee event this weekend i'm pretty sure it's glutee event so if you're there say hi to danny but yeah, so cool weekends planned and hope you guys have got cool weekends planned as well. So let's crack on to the questions as per. So the first question is on dealing with, and this was actually from one of my clients, Lindsay. This was on dealing with strength loss in a prep. So obviously as number, well num, numbers in terms of scale weight, body weight starts to dip we start to see changes in the way that our body performs, not only from a recovery standpoint, but obviously from a performance standpoint in our sessions too. And this is not necessarily down to like people tend to term it as leverages. Your leverages don't really change. It's the reason the reason why leverages potentially have an impact or it slightly adjust is because your body mass is changing. So the leverages itself aren't changing. It's your body mass that's potentially having an influence on the way that you leverage load. So with that being said focusing on trying to retain as much as we possibly can without the detriment of execution is the battle that we're constantly having with the logbook now there's there's two crowds of people there's the stubborn crowd that will try and retain till death comes comes past and robs them of their life within that press or within that squat or within that hip hinge and takes their soul out of their body and that's cool like that's fantastic like trying to be really really stubborn and be really really like focused on retention but at the end of the day something's got to slip and ultimately no matter what people say online oh strength loss in a contest prep is a myth it's not a myth it's a reality you're going to lose strength at some point and to be honest i don't know like on the assisted side of things potentially you're going to be gaining strength to a degree but i would say because energy availability is consistently going lower And recovery capacity is is decreased unless you're playing about with frequency in a very smart way as an assisted athlete. So as you get leaner, you're potentially adding in more (coughs) more consistent rest days. And especially around those workouts, which are more neurally taxing, which obviously is going to tap into your recovery modalities even more. Unless you're doing that, I don't think you're going to be holding all your strength. Bottom line. You know, I really just don't think you're going to be doing it. So thinking that you're going to hold on to all your strength is not going to happen. Okay, it's only going to end up in you being very, very upset by the end of your contest prep when you have just not retained all your numbers. So my advice, bottom line, is be very vigilant with recording your sets. So when you're playing, when you when you sort of when when you're going through a session, play back your footage whilst you're training. So, like, some people will think this is interruptive, or this is silly, this is too much, this is over-the-top, whatever. It's not, actually, to be fair. It's a very, very good analysis tool. And what frustrates me is that in certain gyms in the UK, and I won't name gyms, but I've gotten laughed at for filming my sets, and I've gotten called, like, you know, tripod boy or shit like that. Like, fuck off. Like, film your sets, and you can look at how horrible your form is. I was about to get very irate there but like look at how awful your form is if you record your sets and some of these people are recording their own sets and they just find it funny to laugh at other people that are doing this thinking that it's taking away from their their session or their intensity yes some people have time restraints on their sessions and I'm very lucky in the sense that I can go into the gym and have quite a lot of time to play with and know that I don't really have to worry about filming a couple of sets and being behind on time because it's not the reality of things when i was a pt and i was short on time i'm not i wasn't necessarily going to be able to film everything but the reason why there's not enough people checking their form and being analytical of it is because of you dickheads that say oh okay i can't like you can't film or like you're not allowed to film or they laugh at people filming like and the amount of clients especially female clients young female clients that i coach that say Oh, I'm a bit nervous to film, it makes me sad because you shouldn't be nervous to film in a gym. If, if anything, it's probably one of the most rewarding tools and one of those most beneficial aspects for a coach to be looking at is video recordings in the gym. So if you want to hold on to strength accurately in a prep, you best be recording your sets. Because that 15kg shoulder press for 10 reps that you had at the start of prep, that you retain the whole way through and you're like, Coach, I've retained all my strength. And then I say in week ten or week twelve of your prep when you've retained all those numbers, I say film your press and it's awful. Well guess what? You've probably regressed actually in terms of not only your not only your um, actual sort of ex- like from a from a volume perspective because you're moving less load through a, or less time under tension to a degree because you're moving it through lesser of a range of motion, but you've also massively regressed your stimulus. Your stimulus itself has just gone to pot, basically. You'd be better off doing the 10s for your original range of motion than the 15s for a very, very partial range of motion. So recording your sets absolutely pivotal. And don't ignore what the other people are like and what they're saying. Sorry if I got a bit aggressive about that. Maybe it's the hunger kicking in. Don't know. I apologize for swearing. But yeah, I, I would just say ignore people around you. Film your sets. And write in your logbook as to whether you thought the execution was good or not. Don't be the person that goes back and does the set again and again and again if you weren't happy with the execution. So I've had clients do that. They're like, the form was bad, so I just did it again. And then I did it again. And then again. So they redid the set. Not a good plan because you're just accumulating way more fatigue than your program should be having you accumulate. Alright, so just be... Be cautious of that when it comes to to strength loss. Um, Also, one of the side tangents to that question, which I actually answered in DM to my my, my client, was whether this would be different male to female uh, or different categories, and it's not. Uh, The same thing applies to every single category. The goal hand is always maximal muscle retention. So it's keeping the stimulus the same. It's keeping that execution pristine, making sure that we're controlling that eccentric portion of the lift and making sure that it doesn't let doesn't get away from us okay that's a consistent we want a consistent stimulus and don't be that person that's so stubborn that your stimulus just continues to get worse very important cool so next question is the mindset of becoming a world champion so essentially the person's asking here it's actually georgie boy is tap trying to tap into what it takes to become a world champion so, in my opinion, what it takes to become the best at anything is absolute religious consistency. What, what, what do you see within any person that really gets to the top echelons of what they're doing? They have the same process that works and they just rinse it day in, day out. Day in, day out. They get up, they do the same thing, the same thing, the same thing, the same thing. It works, it works, it works, it works, it works. And obviously they adapt and they create opportunities or they see, they see a roadblock and they create a way to overcome that roadblock. They see a stalling fat loss, for example, in a contest prep, you overcome that roadblock. You don't get beat, they, they don't stop just because they hit a roadblock. You see, a lot of people in prep, they have a stalling point. They stress out, they worry, they get annoyed, they get frustrated, they get down, they try and change every, with everything. They're trying a million and one things differently. They add in this, they add in that. And a wild frenzy of trying to beat the roadblock. When in reality, a small adjustment or patience is going to get them to that end goal. It's going to get them past that roadblock. So the mindset is that you are attacking a goal with a very, very accurate, accurate, like very focused approach to 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 that goal and to that process. Okay, and you've got to be goal orientated the whole time, the whole time that goal is like deeply ingrained in your brain. So like. My my midbrain has been focused on that, that world champion status within the junior class, or my midbrain was focused on that world champ status, it's now very much focused on world champ status as a lightweight, it's been on that for a long time, my friend, like, a very, very long time, and even if I didn't believe that I could do it, it was still there. That thought, that, 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 that will, that, that understanding. Because once you train like you're going to win everything, like you're gonna win a world championship, once you start training for that goal and you don't just start saying, ah, I'm gonna come third at a qualifier, or I'm gonna come first at a qualifier. If you train like someone's that's just gonna come third at a qualifier or come first at a qualifier, you're going to just do that. Whereas if you train like you're you're going to be a world champ and nothing less. Then I can guarantee you're going to get pretty damn close, and that's just not revolving just around training. It's nutrition. It's the consistency there. It's the recovery modalities. It's sleep management. It's stress management. It's everything. If you do everything like a world champion, then you're going to get pretty damn close. People that I see come very far away from that goal are the people that set goals that are far too small. They say, "Ah, oh, I'll just. I'll, hopefully, I'll just win a qualifier next year." Well, guess what? you set that goal you're just gonna win a qualifier no matter how much your genetic potential influences what you do if you truly believe you're only gonna win a qualifier you will never win a british final in that moment of time until you start believing that you've got the potential to be able to do that like uh, pains me like to see that when people set that limitation on themselves just if you have the goal of winning like a world final or a british final or whatever don't go don't go telling everyone that don't go telling everyone your goals you don't have to your goals are your goals for a reason very personal they you're kept to themselves you keep them to yourselves right, I didn't really share the fact that I wanted obviously people knew that I wanted to win a British title but I didn't post it on my Instagram saying I'm gonna win a British title. I didn't say that I never said that never said that I said I, I said I said maybe somewhere here and there that I'd like to win a British title. I never said I'm going to because I didn't have a clue whether I would. I didn't have a clue whether I'd come against Tafa at the, the British finals. I'd be beaten by some absolute freak of nature. <laughs> so I didn't have a clue about that. So you don't have a clue who you're going to compete against either. You don't have a clue. All you can do is control your variables and set that belief in your head. If you set that belief, then everything's going to start coming your way. And I see that already within the specific person that asked this question. Um, and I see it already in the other person that asked a very similar question, which I'm going to cover next. I see it in both of you guys. I see it in a lot of my clients. I see that that I see that venom in there in their eyes. I see that 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 want, that fire, that need, that purpose, that passion. Everything's just sort of coinciding. And mate, in all honesty, when I got those two questions last night from both of you guys, the guys that asked those questions, you know who you are. Oh my god, I can't I can't tell you, I can't tell you that the, the 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 endorphins that were like coming out of my body right now because I get so pumped for you guys I don't care I don't care who wins or who does super well this year or who goes to worlds I don't care who goes to worlds as long as I as long as I get you one of you there I don't care because all of you are putting in amazing amounts of effort and that's that's what makes me so happy that's what releases the endorphins is seeing people that I coach put in the effort that I put in in 2017 put in that crazy crazy just relentless passion for what what we do and and spending time with these people is amazing you know spending time around these people and, and sitting reminding myself how how, how much oh, i love this process is just fantastic and it and it reminds me how much that i actually don't care that i'm not competing this year because how much of my motivation is fueled simply by coaching people to what I love, to the stage, to, to British finals, to World finals. You know, if I'm able to get a junior on that world stage this year in, in New York when I go out there, because I'll be going whatever, I better, I better be taking some people because uh, I want some company on the plane. <laughs> but, like, seriously, I, I, I will be so pumped. I'll be so excited for that. And it will just remind me how, how much I just love doing this okay so that's that question answered and it kind of ties into the next question which i will cover and i'll timestamp it as a separate thing but this is more in the lines of like coaching as opposed to what it takes from an athlete perspective so the other question was am i coaching the wmbf junior world champ and how can i ent- how can i identify this so from my perspective, obviously I don't know, and I'm not prepared to say that I am. I'm just prepared to say that I'm very confident that within the select people that I'm coaching this year in the junior category, I have got a pretty damn good chance of getting someone there. Okay, pretty damn good chance. I'd say the chances are pretty high to to get someone to that world final. You know, whether it's whether it's one of well whether it's one of my guys or not, I can't control that. I don't have a decision on that, unfortunately. If I did, I'd get. All of them there. I'd like, I'd say, okay, cool guys. Like you're all qualified. Let's all go. You've all had incredible preps. You put in amazing effort. Let's just all go together, kind of thing. But that doesn't happen in bodybuilding. One person goes. One person goes. Someone asked. <laughs> the person who asked this question knows this as well. They were like, "Is it top three that go?" And I was like, "Nope. Nobody. Like it's just you have to win. It's you only. The winner only. Okay. And how can I identify whether I've got someone like that?" It's pretty much all of the things that I just mentioned, but it's not just having them for one week or one month or two months. It's all the time. It's all the time. It's every single check-in. Every single check-in. Every time. I'm going really, really like ingrain this thought process. Because into into some of you guys that are listening, if you want to achieve something this this high, this this big, you have gotta be non stop you've got to be on it all the damn time, all the damn time, that doesn't mean just in your prep, it means like now, if you're watching this during your off-season, it means now too, like you have got to be on the ball, you've got to be on the ball with your training, on the ball with your nutrition, yeah you'll have some holidays and some relaxed periods here and there, that's fine, it happens to all of us, not during prep really, doesn't, in the off-season you will, it's an important part of being a human. But outside of that, like you need to be on it. The amount of people I see wasting their off seasons with shitty trading, no logbooks, no progressive eating, just basically just swimming around at stupid body weights, either too fat, too lean, or in the middle, and not doing progressive phases of, of gaining and then mini cutting, gaining the mini cutting, just not doing that, just like hovering and not really making any strides in momentum and having the same PBs that they had a year ago. It's is ridiculous. But it's cool because i know that i've got so many people clients and myself that are just going to beat those people because they're not going to win shows they're going to be looking the same as they did two years ago or a year ago or whatever like if i took the same physique that i had in 2017 and tried to win a lightweight title i don't think i'd be a million miles off but i certainly wouldn't win i don't think i don't think i don't, i really don't think i would i wouldn't be a million miles off I'd, based on the fact that did a qualifier and came a very, very tight second to the guy that won the lightweights very recently. I think I'd, I'd, I'd be confident in saying that I would have been top five in that British lineup. Uh, I have I confidence in saying that because he's won it and I was pretty close to him. So I'd be pretty confident in saying that, but I don't think I would have won it because I'd already got beaten by him. Okay, so like that's something to consider. But yeah, so it's it's like super duper consistency within every single check-in that I'm expecting from a client that I know will achieve the top echelons of, of the sport and continue to achieve that because they're just going to take it into their off-season they're going to be super consistent there as well. So that's realistically it and I hope that makes sense. I hope that has good cost transfer in terms of maybe... coach listening to this and 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 sort of wanting to identify whether a client's going to do well or not if your client consistently checks in and they've ticked all their boxes and they've done their job every single check-in you've probably got a champ there you've probably got someone who's going to do pretty damn well okay so just 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 keep sending them in the right direction they'll probably be there okay so that's enough of the more fired up questions i hope you enjoyed that now we're going to move on to some slightly more sort of standardized questions i guess so this question is why have i cut caffeine and what have my experiences been so for background information i stopped having caffeine completely apart from if you count the caffeine in dark chocolate there is about 25 milligrams of caffeine in a couple of squares of dark chocolate so if you count that then i probably haven't cut caffeine but if you don't count that like me and you count cups of coffee etc or tea or energy drinks pre-workouts with caffeine in then you count caffeine so i have experienced in the initial two weeks pretty bad headaches (laughs) because basically i'm used to about 500 to 600 mg's of caffeine per day that's usually my normal amount like a pretty strong coffee in the morning and then follow that up with a pre-workout supplement or a Monster or another coffee, another pretty strong double espresso uh, in the mid-afternoon, early afternoon for my pre, pre-workout, and that was my normal stimulant use, okay? So, I, I, I cut it when I had that sort of, like, bit of a nightmare when I went to A&E kind of thing, I had, which I've discussed with George in the podcast. So, I kind of cut it after that because that was kind of a recommendation, and what the diagnosis basically at that point was was basically that I was very stressed and I also had a few other things like sunburn dehydration and I took probably an unweighed amount of a pre-workout supplement, pre-workout, and that was probably the the cause for the for the issue. Okay. So they obviously their recommendation was just cut caffeine down. So me being me, I went full gung ho and went cold turkey straight away. Because I was like, right, cool, if, if this makes me feel better, then I'll just go straight away. So, going cold turkey was probably not a good idea, and I don't really recommend this to clients, because the headaches are pretty, pretty severe. Um, they, they actually do hurt quite a bit, So and they're pretty distractive. So, that was the initial sort of couple of weeks. And then after that, I felt pretty good, but also pretty meh in some ways. So, be honest, like... I feel less energy than I normally have and less sort of buzz than I normally have. So normally, like, I wake up, I have a a nice cup of coffee, and I like that. You know, I like that cup of coffee. I do miss it. Like, decaf just wouldn't be the same because I like the taste to a degree. Decaf tastes, like, horrible, to be honest, just being honest. So I like the taste of coffee, um, and I also like the feeling of coffee, especially in the morning when I'm fasted, especially in a deficit. It's nice. You get that sort of like bit of a boost and you feel like you're wired for a bit and you get through through a good amount of check-ins or work with that and I like that feeling. But having not had that, I do feel like I'm a bit slower to get going in the mornings but then my energy is more sort of, I guess, level as opposed to up and down. I don't have any sort of big drops or or big uh, sort of swooshes in energy to a degree. My energy levels are pretty static. So... That's my general experience in terms of performance in the gym. Guys, you've seen it. Like, you've seen it. There's no performance drop-off in the gym, and I'm in a deficit. So the other thing that I have actually noticed, funny enough, is inside the gym, when I'm actually there, like, I feel better because usually when I got to the gym, I'd have really good first couple of sets, and then especially if I was using a stronger stimulant-based pre, my eyes would sort of start hurting. And the back of my eyes, especially, like, just just they'd feel tired and I'd feel like I couldn't focus on anything and I'd, I'd sort of end up dragging myself through the back end of the session because I was like coming on the back down of quite a high stim pre and by the end of the session I was like geez like I need to go and relax because I'd be like sort of overstimulated to a degree okay so that's what I would say my experiences was when I was running much much higher stims so I do feel like there's some benefits but also like I've said there's some definite downsides and there's plenty of pros of having coffee in your life to be honest like it's nice it's a good addition to 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 your day-to-day process it's not a bad thing and i don't think i've cut it for like you know oh my god coffee's bad and i'm looking at it that way i'm definitely not looking at it that way to be honest it's more so for the fact that i just want to basically see if i can operate without it um and for the most part i can and performance wise i can Alertiveness in work i can so i will probably reintroduce it at some point pretty soon if i'm honest just like a small amount um see how i respond off of that and go from there but that's my experiences and i hope that helps some people in terms of whether they want to cut it out or not um i've experienced like small small waves of anxiety now and again uh, especially sort of after that body power thing or just before body fire body power, spirits, small waves of anxiety after that, and I've definitely had less with with being cafe- without caffeine, but to be honest, it's not something I've really suffered with, to be honest, so I can't really comment as to whether it's reduced anxiety, because I've never really had it, so yeah, I would say that that's my honest opinion on the anxiety potential effects, so I know a lot of people have discussed that with regards to cutting out caffeine. So, next question is my opinions on what natural show should a na- should a novice or a first time competitor do so you're natural you want to compete for the first time you're a novice so i would look towards like the top federations in terms of natural drug tested shows in my opinion in the uk are bmbf ukdfba and then you can obviously count the mpa in there as well but if you're brutally honest like uh, no hatred or harsh feelings to the mpa whatsoever but their numbers are pretty declined in terms of the competition level comparative to ukdfba and bmbf and i've heard some meh things with regards to some of the judging but again you hear that everywhere to be honest like everyone has an opinion so i wouldn't really put too much money on that one but i would say that the ukdfba bmbf are the most competitive and if you want to look for a novice class the bmbf and the ukdfba both have a novice bodybuilding class for bodybuilding there is no novice category for anything else it's just bodybuilding so if you want to do bodybuilding you can enter the novices or you could do if you want to enter any other class as a novice or a first time competitor you could do the usn classic at the front end of the season in the ukdfba and that's a, a purely novice only show so you could look at doing that so those are your options and obviously you have some fantastic options there Um, outside of that just you know get yourself along to some shows this season have a look and see what you what you think and see which federation you like see where you potentially could could land up and obviously develop an an awareness as to whether you want to compete with this federation that federation obviously they're all pretty similar but you know you'll develop an understanding as to which one's going to suit you the best and then you can go for that all right so that's my advice on competing in an actual show and in terms of the drug testing process so You'll be, if you win your class qualifier, you'll be urine, urine tested, so urine analysis. And if you do the BMBF, everyone's polygraphed at the finals. You pay for your polygraph, have like a 10-minute, 5-minute test with a polygraph guy. And he's an American, and it feels like being being interrogated, which is fantastic, the day before the show. And yeah, you can do that. And then with the UKDFBA, same approach to the qualifiers, urine analysis, the finals. Um, it selects people that will be polygraphed. So if you're selected, you'll be polygraphed, um, but you don't, I believe, have to pay for that. I think it's funded by the federation, out of out of what I've heard. Um, and again, if you go to worlds, you'll be polygraphed again by the WMBF guys. All right. So next question is my favorite music for sympathetic dominance and my favorite music for parasympathetic dominance. So obviously to explain for anyone that doesn't know what these things are this is essentially the two branches of the autonomic nervous system so we have our sympathetic nervous system we have our fight or flight states So we have the sympathetic branch which is elevated when we train we release cortisol adrenaline for that fight or flight response okay our body's under stress we have to fight it off okay that's a natural response natural hormonal response to that state And we have a parasympathetic state or the parasympathetic branch where we are relaxed, our heart rate is low, our blood pressure is low or back down to its baseline, heart rate is back down to its baseline. And we are relaxing, we're in a position to potentially digest a meal, we're in a position to sleep. So all of these things that coincide with the parasympathetic state are very important for recovery. So outside of our sympathetic state, Throughout the rest of the day, outside of training, we need to be in that parasympathetic state to maximise recovery. So, in terms of like what I can add to that to make sure that you're selecting, you know, a good approach to, towards benefiting your nervous system, you can look at numerous things again impact your nervous system. Of course, ner- like music will be one of them. And to cover this question, first off, before I go into some more detail and actually use this question to give a bit more feedback or a bit more of a a take-home from the question so music wise you can use music prior to to a set or prior to the gym to get you into that sympathetic state to get adrenaline flowing to get cortisol flowing to get that heart rate up to get the blood pressure up to induce a greater performance effect okay going into a set feeling like listening to like i don't know ben howard you're not probably going to be in a position to attack that set are you Whereas listening to a set, listening to like, you know, some rock music or Meek Mill or something like that, which will get your sympathetic nervous system like firing or get you a little bit angrier, pumped up, like five finger death punch or something like that, you'll be ready to go for that set. So so for me, in all honesty, I don't like to be similar to the pre-workout situation. I don't like to be like overly stimulated before a set because I find my focus massively drops. So if I was to put on like one of Jack Thorburn's favorite songs before a set I'd be gone I'd be lost unfortunately I'm sorry Jack I'd just be lost in the set I wouldn't I wouldn't feel anything because I'd just attack the set so much and I'd be so I'd be so neurologically drained from tri- just that's that music that noise in my head like Ultraflex the other day was playing like consistent crazy rock music my eardrums were like bleeding and i could basically like not focus on anything and actually had a good session but i was very just jaded throughout i couldn't focus on anything my favorite is like you know meek mill any sort of decent hip-hop which has basically some lyrics which sit with me and i know that a lot of people can resonate to me on that one Um, one of my previous clients and one of my current clients we back and forth send songs to each other that are good where the lyrics, they just something clicks with the lyrics and you and your emotions, <clears throat> and makes me a little bit upset, but also a little bit angry. And that combination of a bit upset and a bit angry makes me go in on the set and attack it. And like I find there's some like some something inside of me that just flicks on when I'm in that mode, and I'm going for it. Okay, so that is that is what I use: hip hop lyrics that speak to me. Parasympathetic-wise, actually, Ben Howe is pretty good, to be honest. Um, What else? Mumford & Sons is pretty good. Bon Iver. Those are the few that I listen to. Again, there are some, like, Post Malone tracks that are pretty good in terms of relaxing and just generally anything that makes me feel, like, upbeat, happy, and takes me back to, like, a positive positive phase of my life. So if there was something, like, a phase of my life where... So like obviously when I used to drive, I used to listen to music all the time. So when I drove, I like if I if I drove somewhere, and uh, like happy periods in my life or something happy was going on, I had lots of songs that I just play on repeat. I remember there was a summer in Brighton when I was driving a lot. I was in a very good place and everything was really like very good in my life at that time. And I remember there was a select few songs that I'd play on journeys when I go and see my friends and things, things like that and. I play them sometimes just because it reminds me of like good times, not that, bad tim- not that the times are bad, but it just brings me back to <clears throat> really good times, which is nice, so try and find songs again. I find songs that just match the emotion is pretty good, so that's something that you need to look at when it comes to trying to regulate that nervous system response from a music perspective, but it's a very interesting question and one I hope that people take something from. So. What I was going to go on to, I mean, I could go on for probably a whole podcast about nervous nervous system regulation and trying to regulate that response from, you know, parasympathetic to, ner- to a sympathetic dominant state. I could go on about that for ages, but I'm not going to. So another one to sort of consider is like when you are in that post-workout setting, be very cautious about what you are consuming. So not from a food perspective, but what you're consuming on social media what your eyes are consuming, what your ears are consuming, everything. So if you go home from the gym and you whack on the radio and you're just listening to whatever garbage is on there, you're listening to the news and you hear about all this like bad news, bad news and just negative stuff, and things that are going to make you angry or you get stuck in traffic and you just get angry or you like, you know, drive home so fast that you're rushing and you just don't get a chance to chill. Bad, you know, go home drive home calmly walk home calmly get home meditate eat a post-workout meal that could probably be the best setup that you could possibly have so try to think about that regulation because it will impact your recovery and it will obviously impede your recovery if you don't manage this well so if you're not doing this at the moment you're listening to this sort it out and then get back to me in a a week and a half's time or a couple of weeks time and tell me message me on instagram and implement those things with regards to music but also with regards to that post-workout really trying to focus on relaxing you know breathing in five deep breath five seconds through the nose five seconds out the nose nasal breathing use your nose a lot of people just breathe through the mouth use your nose really helps regulate heart rate and bring you that back down to that baseline. Bring you back to that relaxed state. Tell me how you feel in two weeks, uh, get back to me and like let me know if anything's improved. I'd be really interested to hear it, because like me personally, in stressed out positions, I can regulate my heart rate. I can regulate loads of things. I can regulate my recovery by just simply being aware of these these mo- mo- modalities, and that's without even getting into supplements. And there are quite a few supplements, both minerals, adaptogens and amino acids that can have a a pretty significant effect on the nervous system so you've not even like we've not even touched the edge on on things that can think that that can influence the nervous system okay so we're at 42 minutes wow i've talked a lot on like five questions so question from genie so genie's on uh competing or competing very soon she's coached by jack she's doing awesome so decent uh Big shout out to Jeannie, She's doing amazing. So um, it's great to see that you two are working so well together, and it's great to see someone who's just relentlessly chasing a goal. Like I see you smashing, like absolutely smashing the stairmaster, and I know how that feels when you're digging deep and you're you're on those stairs and you're like, I see you. I see the level that you work. It's very impressive. Like very impressive. So. Like, I don't often say that it's impressive, but it is pretty impressive. You're you're doing an amazing job, mate. All right, so how long did it take me to recover from competing in 2017? Uh, A long time, to be honest, in terms of both psychologically and physically. Unfortunately, in terms of the... uh, I mean, it wasn't obviously, like, it was something that actually just completely disrupted my focus and changed my focus from away from bodybuilding and, well, away a bit from bodybuilding and onto, like... The seriousness of the situation um, was that the whole period of time recovering from my show or post show, as soon as I got back from Worlds, um, that was the period of time in which my my mum was very very sick, um, and that was basically the focus was spending time with mum and um, making sure things were good and you know trying to spend as much time with her and things like that. So for me, I think I would have recovered a lot faster. If it wasn't for that emotional stress, life stress, because obviously just had forty-five weeks of dieting and a lot of physical stress um, placed upon my body with my choice, and then I had the the emotional stress, the life stress, which was not my choice, um, absolutely fucking not. So that was that was placed upon me post-show, and that was very hard to deal with in that moment of time. But my Dedication, my willpower, and my, my focus on, on 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 what I was doing and what what made me happy outside of you know spending time with with my mom was so relentless that I managed to get through that phase of time pretty well. Um, how, however, I think that it made me prolong my recovery from a contest prep physiologically, maybe just de- delayed the hormonal response coming back because I was so heightened in terms of stress um But I managed to to basically probably recover by about six months, um, and that was just getting over everything else and the emotional stress dropping off, etc. But uh, I'd say a lot of to be honest, like a lot of the emotions that I held held back within that time period, I can openly admit I I held a lot of emotions in in that period of time, and that was a bad thing. You know, I didn't really speak out about my emotions. Um, I remember when Jack used to ask me whether I was okay Jack will attest to me just constantly constantly saying that I was fine um, and I never really like I felt like I was holding back you know when you're holding back like a big a big cry and you just want to cry but you don't um, I felt like I was holding back that for a long long time um, you know and, and recent like recently I've, I've like had a couple of moments where I've just I'll be honest I don't really care um, maybe it will help some people I've just like I've just 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 cried um but just because i feel like and i chatted to a friend actually who was in the same situation sorry genie to move away from your question but this is important in terms of emotions and controlling them in contest prep because it's you know in contest prep you're under so much stress you have to release emotions sometimes um, i was chatting to a friend who'd, who'd held back a lot of his emotions as well and it's a very similar experience and he's just found recently that even at like a year on from this experience He's been just in a in a really tough spot, and it's because he held back a lot of of the emotion that that he that he was experiencing. He wasn't honest about how he was feeling, and you know I can I have seen that affect actually other people um, that are pretty close to me. So it, it's very important that when you're going through something tough, um even contest prep whatever that you are very honest with your emotions, and if you want to get like get upset, if you want to have a little bit of a cry, definitely do it. Definitely do it because like. I mean, it's not an it's not it's not a reason to suggest that you should be like just this mess and crying all the time. No, like that's not necessary, especially in a bloody prep. Like no way. But you know, if life gets the better of you and you know kicks you in the foot a few times or kicks you in the balls a few times, like feel free to get a bit upset about it. Don't think there's any reason to be worried about that or be concerned about that. As long as you can pick yourself up, get back at it, um, and view that as a as an emotion that you've let out. The emotion has come out. It's gone like cool we've had that emotion we've been upset for a little bit now let's crack on um, and move on with being happy because that's what people would want us to be doing so off tangent a little bit but yeah it took me a long time to recover from the conscious prep and again an additional sort of take home from that is like be very aware of your emotions when it comes to being in a, a state of heightened heightened stress whether it's physical whether it's emotional all of these stresses add up to your allostatic load and if your allostatic load is Super-duper high, you're having stressors from all directions. You're going to be in a position where you've got to let something out. Or something's got to slip. And that might be the deficit in a contest prep. You might have to stop. Okay. Um, and that's the situation for some people. And I see some people push through those phases. And it's not good. And it's not rewarding. Alright. So next question is one that I've kind of covered before. So I'm going to cover this quickly just to answer it as it's on my timestamps. But should beginners use top sets and back off sets? my answer is basically a predicament of how hard you can train so if you can train very very hard you can definitely use top sets and back off sets, because as your ability to train hard increases your volume will decrease with that if you want to train very very hard your volume is probably going to be pretty low because otherwise let's say you train with four sets on a chest exercise you take them all to perfect muscular failure you're not going to be able to recover from that, I have know very few people that can recover from that amount of volume, three sets is probably someone's absolute maximum tolerable volume on a compound exercise when they're taken to perfect failure or close to perfect failure, obviously you're not going to take a squat pattern to failure and probably not going to take everything to failure but not another rep in the tank with perfect execution, you're not going to be doing a lot of volume, bottom line, all right, so the moment you understand that is the moment you start making a pretty decent degree of progress because you'll have your volume at a suitable tolerable amount so the question really is how hard can you train how hard do you like training how long have you been training what is the loads you're using on exercises let's say you know you're 16 years old you're just getting into training and squatting 100 kg or 60 kg or whatever the demand in your nervous system is much less than it would be if you were squatting 180 kgs so your tolerable volume is probably a little bit higher until you get stronger and as you get stronger your tolerable volume will become lower simple answer to the question hope that hope that helps next question would i consider working with a coach for example jp or cliff wilson if i wanted to to continue to advance my knowledge so yes and no in the sense that i would i would work with a coach to to build my knowledge but I love coaching myself, and I- I've always loved coaching myself for 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 a few reasons. In the sense that if I fuck it up, I kind of want the, the, uh, I want I want it to go on me. I don't want it to go on someone else. I'd feel so bad if something went wrong, and I had to I had to almost place the blame on someone else. I, I wouldn't like that. I don't like placing blame on others. I'm quick to admit when I fucked up or done something wrong, and I'm fine with that. But I'm not fine with blaming, blaming others. It really, really grinds my gears a bit when I have to blame others or, or put the blame on someone else for doing something that I wouldn't have done. However, would I work with someone in an off-season in the future like JP or Cliff? Probably yes. Um, and if anything, I have very closely considered using someone like JP for my programming um i really have i really have just but be, just because know, it would be whether it would be someone like jp or whether it be cliff or whatever i think more closely it would probably be someone like jp valentin or luke uh, hoffman or callum or james at the muscle mentors like probably one of those guys like just because i know that their knowledge is not only very high but their approaches do match what I tend to believe in or what I tend to enjoy so it wouldn't be like a clash at all I know Cliff's training is a little different to what I would like to do in terms of training so there might be a bit of a clash there Um, and ultimately he's abroad as well I'm not sure what his communication levels are like but I'd like to I'd like to have someone that I could ask questions and feel like I was going to get an answer from them so for me it would be someone that probably clap caps their clients as well to a degree so I knew I could actually ask questions and I could you know send a form clip to them and, and have some response back on it as opposed to oh good stuff you know like the person that asked this question sent a form clip to me today two and a half minute voice note within a couple of minutes of them sending it to me you know that's the kind of thing that I would like from a coach and unfortunately I'll be honest I don't think apart from maybe valentin and luke i don't think with some of those other coaches i I get that kind of service um and that's not being harsh it's just i know how many people they work with i know what their demand is like and that's fine you know um and in some cases i actually kind of like the fact that the check-in process would be simple with some of these coaches like for example i know check-ins with jp is fairly simple in terms of you know sending across some data and some photos and and not having to log a million and one things in a spreadsheet i kind of like some of that process but again like i'm a data guy I sometimes like the data so you can already tell like, i'm a bit all over the place when it comes to what i'd want so i don't want to mess people around Like i don't want to hire a coach and then be like mm, maybe i should go with someone else i don't want to jump between a million and one coaches with a process that i'm not happy with all right but at the end of the day trying coaches learning from them and then moving on to another coach i don't see that as a huge problem as long as you're not screwing people around basically um which I don't think pretty many people are to be honest especially people that I work with they tend to stick with me for a decent time period and then decide whether they like the process or not okay so hopefully that answers your question um maybe one day I will get someone doing my programming at least I can probably handle my nutrition but having someone do my programming potentially I'll look into it soon um Who would like to see that happen who would like to see me get coached would anyone be interested in watching me get coached or i don't know comment below if you if you would if you would like to see me get coached or would you would you want to see me hook up with a specific coach i'd be interested to see whether anyone wants me or would be interested to see me hook up with someone and work with someone let me know all right so next question is tips on doing your own programming for training so ultimately you just need to be very aware like this is actually very linked to the last question you need to be very aware of what works for you and be very very much conscious of sticking to the curve and not getting distracted from what you're doing by what other people are doing so just because someone just starts doing a snatch grip rdl online doesn't mean that you have to do it just because someone bans an rdl around the hips and says that it activates the glutes more doesn't mean that you have to do it it doesn't um, as Luke will attest to <laughs> there is no moment arm to the hip um, so yeah it doesn't doesn't it doesn't work um, and funnily enough I had it in a lot of my clients programs and uh, I was wrong I was wrong with what I thought was right there so <laughs> so I'll admit defeat on that one um, because yeah I like that the, the muscle mentors workshop so outside of that um, I think that making sure that you don't do too much as well like being realistic with your recovery capacity is pretty important i see a lot of people get carried away with doing their own training and just adding endless amounts of sets and volume and just basically just doing too much and thinking that it's going to yield more results it won't like more is not better in a lot of circumstances so don't do more just because you think it's better it's most likely not so don't get carried away with doing too much and when you set a program for an eight week period please stick to it and just do it for that eight weeks. Rinse and repeat it. Don't get distracted, like going into one gym one week and then another gym the next. And you know, I think unfortunately, like, George is probably listening to this, so I'm sorry, George. But I think if George was to do his own programming right now, I think he would change quite a bit, and he'd change too much too often. Um, just because he he's so analytical, which is amazing, but he's over analytical with some things. And I'm kind of the same sometimes, I have to really, really hold myself back because it's very easy to want to do something new or to want to do something different um, or to think something's better. And the only reason why George would do something different is because he thinks it's better, but a lot of the time it's not. And he'd quite quickly learn that, he'd be like, ah, oh, okay, fuck, that isn't better. But then he'd have wasted a week or a microcycle of training trying to do something that was better that was actually not better. Make sense? cool next question is from Alistair and it's on uh, thoughts on taking time away from social media so personally I have not done this enough and me and Danny are going on holiday later in the year I'll probably keep the destination a I don't know quiet for a little bit I don't know whether Danny wants to uh, keep it a secret or whatever I don't know so uh, we're going away later in the year which will be cool we booked it like a week ago or so so we're going away for a week and Ideally, I want to come off social media to a degree in that trip. Definitely use it less. You know, we were talking about, like, leaving our phones in in the hotel or in the apartment, whatever, for a little bit. And then just, like, just chilling out and just relaxing because I think having that sort of time away, having that removal process from something like social media is pretty pretty pivotal because it can get very draining. You know, psychologically, at the end of a busy day, I sometimes feel just like knackered and i also get a bit frustrated online sometimes so i like i get like a dm and i and i get frustrated with it and i reply in a bad way i even did it today to be honest like probably replied in a bit of a bad way to a dm that i got and i'm like why did i do that but it's because i'm like consuming too much and i'm not allowing myself enough time to be in a position to reply or respond to in the best way possible so I'd say, yeah, taking time from social media or time away, sorry, from social media is probably a pretty beneficial thing. And I should look to do it more and probably everyone should look to do it more. That's the answer. Basically, you should do it if you can. Okay, so the, the, the next question is a pretty heavy one in terms of how deep I could go into it. But we're at 58 minutes and I really do want to cover it because I think it's a good one. Um, it was asked by Jack. Jack, I watched a vlog last night. The Jess Showday video is very good. Jack McDonald on, on YouTube. Check him out. He's producing some pretty cool vlogs. And he vlogged his girlfriend, Showday, And that was a really cool vlog. And it's nice to see how excited Jess was to compete. I love seeing people excited to compete. Um, and nailing some brownies after. So, my thoughts on RIR training is popularized by Steve and Mike. So, I think Steve may well listen to this. And Steve will probably find it quite funny that you said that it's popularized by Steve because Steve will say that he's got it all from Mike. Like Steve's a very humble guy, but Steve has, like, if Steve's listening to this, Steve, you have definitely popularized RIR training because you've taken it from Mike, you've learned it very well, and you've been able to apply it to your audience of over 30,000 people. So you've definitely popularized it. You bastards, <laughs> I'm joking, I'm joking, that's a joke. Um, but yeah, so in terms of my thoughts on it, I think that it's very applicable to a bunch of people. And in fact, actually I, I wrote a program today with RIR in it and with that approach in terms of accumulating volume over the course of a mesocycle. I wrote a program like that today. It's very rare that I write a program like that because I don't, I don't specifically like raising volume throughout a mesocycle for a lot of people and um, because a lot of my clients just really really enjoy training at lower volumes with much higher intensities throughout and they if i was to tell a lot of my clients to remain four reps in reserve they'd be like the fuck's that like how, how am i meant to do that aj like i'm meant to i, I want to train hard like i want to train hard and then take delos when i need them and that's fine you know like you know we can attest that me and Steve have both made fantastic progress in our off-seasons. I think Steve has made some of the best progress he's ever made in his entire life. Because he's finally eaten enough. Um, and also had very structured, very sensible, very methodical training. My, my thought process on that is that Steve has had f- phases in his tra- training where he's trained very, very hard. His understanding and awareness of how far he can take a set is pretty solid. I still do think if someone was shouting in Steve's ear one more fucking rep, I still think that even in his zero RIR week, he'd be able to get two or three more. I'm sorry, Steve, but I really do think that. I think that having a training partner shouting at you, and I know that you don't like that, but I genuinely think that he could get a couple more reps out if someone was there telling him he had to do them, Um, which is just my personal opinion. It's why I love having a training partner. You know, like, for example... When Cuba's there, fucking shouting shit at me when I'm on a hack squat, and he says one more rep, I'm going for one more rep. Even though if I, even if I think there was not another rep there, I will go for it and I will take an assisted rep. Obviously, the neuro, like the from a central nervous system perspective, maybe I'm creating too much fatigue. But when the when the, when an extra rep is on the offering for me, I'm taking it. Now, I, I, for me, I struggle even deloading for one week. So I'd really struggle with the whole approach of waiting to have a hard training week. So like, for example, going four, three, two, one RAR. I just, mentally, I'd very much struggle with that. Other people that can handle that approach of training and like that approach of training and almost find it rewarding to get to that phase of being overreached and having accumulated volume over the course of a mesocycle, volume being one of the biggest precursors of hypertrophy. Arguably, I still believe that getting very strong and using mechanical tension as your tool i still believe that's probably one of the biggest things that's 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 growing the best physiques but again some of the studies will say otherwise which is very fair enough so my thoughts ultimately is that it can definitely work with some people as long as they have an understanding of how to apply the principles of reps in reserve and as long as they understand that if they had someone there shouting at them they could probably go for another one (laughs) Like, even Mike has training partners, and, like, a lot of people say, like, you know, oh, but just because you train with RIR, you train like a pussy, that's not true. You know, Jared and Mike, who are both from RP, train incredibly fucking hard. Like, very, very, very hard trainees. Mike's been known to do 405-pound squats for, like, four sets of, like, 15 reps, four sets of 15 reps, I think. There's a video on, on YouTube of him doing them. And by the end of that last set, his nose was bleeding. Like, he knows how to train very, 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 very hard. So, that's my thoughts. Personally, not for me. But I do know that it's for other people. Cool. So, I'll take Simon's question as, again, it's uh, it's, it's a good question. And it's one that will probably help a few people. And it's a pretty simplistic answer. So, it's dealing with sickness during prep. So, if you get sick during prep, the way in which you've got to handle it is get better as soon as possible. So, that really revolves around doing... As minimal stuff that's going to tax your nervous system as as much as possible, so if you've got something like a cold, ideally if you feel like it's a cold that's going to get better in like a few days, cool, just brute through it, get through it, take your cold medicines as long as you're not a couple of weeks out from a show because you'll hold some water from cold medicines, like Connor had a bit of a cold before body power and I just said just brute through it mate, don't take anything, Because if he was going to take something, it would probably add to the water retention that you already had. And it would cause a bit of a blurred look. I think it was blurred anyway as a result of the cold. But cold and flu medication would probably made it worse. So probably don't take anything if you're close to show. But if you're away from the show, like anywhere above two weeks out, one week out, you're fine to take cold and flu medication. Take it, get better. Um, If it's something more viral, then you probably need to rest up and stop doing your CV. And stop doing your training and actually just rest. And then once you rest, you'll allow your nervous system to get back into that regulatory state or that parasympathetic state. Stop fighting off the illness. And then you'll be better in no time. And you can flick that switch um, and you can and you can be back into your normal routine. So my answer is deal with it in that way, deal with it as best as possible. And for ultimately it's very frustrating. I've been sick during prep. I was sick at the start of my twenty seventeen contest prep. I had flu and it was absolute ball ache. All I wanted to do was train and do my cardio and get stuck in and I couldn't, Um, I physically couldn't remove myself from my bed. So yeah, as long as you just get better, that's the main thing. Focus on that and then outside of that, you know, just just have your head on and realise that there's plenty more days to tick when it comes to prep. Um, You can take things like Sambucol to potentially impact your nervous system in a positive way. Uh, You can upregulate your dose of vitamin C a little bit, you can stay very hydrated eat a very micronutrient-dense diet, those are all things that are going to keep you from a immune system perspective in a good spot. Cool. Final question as I can't do a podcast without answering a question from Christian. So this is a nice question as well. So it's, do I miss traveling alone? So basically, I'll be honest with this answer in the sense that I don't miss travelling alone because I've realised how much better it is with travelling with someone else um, I know this is a difficult answer because like, you know, if I guess if I was single I'd be more than happy to travel on my own and I did really enjoy it, to a degree but when you get there sometimes it's like, yeah, it's like enjoyable and it's fun, but like, you know I know Christian, you're going away soon you're going to back to Vienna and you're hooking up with Tom like, it's it's people like that it's, you know, it's like-minded people that you, when you go somewhere and you have a chat with them and you surround yourself with them for a little bit, even in that setting where you're not going with him but you're meeting him there, it, like, it makes it that little bit more enjoyable. So for me, sharing that time and spending that time with someone, obviously, you know, there's someone right now and for the foreseeable future um, being Danny is like, that is what creates memories for me in my opinion now. Like, if I was to ask, like, if I was to think back as to how many memories I created on my own, in LA and Miami like I created a few memories but I probably created more in the last year of traveling with Danny and those have been memories that hold very closely to me so yeah yes and no man like there's part there's also a part of it that I think's very self very good from a self-development standpoint <clears throat> so my confidence um I'm massively massively increased by going traveling on my own you know, going all the way to Miami, and going there on my own, and staying in some, like, wacky, pretty, pretty crazy Airbnb, which didn't seem that safe, in Miami, and then, you know, going all the way to LA, and getting there all on my own, and, like, just doing all of these things all on my own, like, that was a challenge, like, that was, that was something that was difficult, but it makes everything else in life seem easy, like, you know someone asked me the other day whether i was stressed out about having to move from here to sheffield in the future i'm like no why would i be stressed out about that it's nothing like all it is is just taking my stuff from here and putting it another place Like, i'm not stressed about that at all hence why probably the ease of the move came so easily for me and danny is because we're both not really that stressed about it like gen generally i'm not that much of a stressed guy i'm actually a pretty damn relaxed guy um, it's only when certain things happen in my life that I get stressed, <laughs> um, if it's compromised to my health or my family's health, then I get a little bit worried and stressed, but outside of that, I can handle, I can handle stress pretty well, um, so I, 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 I that built me up as a person very, 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 very well, and I would recommend it to anyone that struggles with self-confidence or struggles with, um, developing their self and they, they want to do something challenging go traveling on your own That's a very big challenge and if you come back from it like <laughs> you'll you'll feel alive so alive I remember getting off the plane from coming back from that I'm feeling fucking alive um, it's a cool feeling very cool feeling I'm sure you can relate Christian um, so that's that's my answer dude I hope that makes sense and I hope you're good dude all right so I will speak to you guys very soon as always If we could get 100 likes on this on YouTube, that would be fantastic. I really appreciate you guys just listening in every single time that I do these things. And if you've got any questions that lead off the the back of any of the questions or topics I've discussed today, put them in the comment section below. If you've listened on iTunes, please take a screenshot or even on YouTube, take a screenshot, take an image of my face, whack it up on your story, tag me in it or reshare it onto mine and just get the podcast flowing. Again, I hope this has been helpful, dudes and dudettes. Dudes and dudettes. Why the hell did I say that? Wow. Okay, I'm going to stop this here. I'm going to go and get something to eat as indefinitely I am hungry. And <laughs> and I'll speak to you guys next week. We'll probably be back with me and Danny. and We'll probably do an audio one as we'll most likely be in Sheffield. All right, I'll speak to you guys soon and have an amazing weekend. See you in a bit, guys. Bye.